We have been uh, in a series going through the book of First uh, Peter. We're in chapter two, verse seventeen today. So if you want to want to uh, open up and start going there, um, my name's Luke. If we haven't met, welcome to Calvary Slow. Glad that you're here this morning. Uh, it's an honor and privilege to get to teach God's word as Pastor Brian's away this week, and uh, we're going to be going through. Um, you know, we've been going through the book of First Peter, chapter two. Been with us for a while. It's taken some time. But I got good news. We're going to make a lot of progress this morning through uh, continuing through First Peter because I'm covering an entire two words of this portion in, in, chat, in, uh, chat, in verse 17. So we're going to be talking about the idea of what it means to fear God. So it's actually somewhat um, of, a, of a heavy heavy topic or an important topic. I think a very important topic. I've been very blessed. Uh, and encouraged and, and challenged just in my own faith and walk with the Lord uh, the last couple of weeks. I was going to teach last week and it was moved to this week, so I've had a few weeks, um, maybe three, three weeks now, three or four weeks to be preparing for this and thinking about this passage. And um, my hope is that as we study these uh, th- these two words of First Peter, but also uh, look at other portions of the Bible to unpack this concept of the fear of the Lord, um, that you would also be be challenged and encouraged in your heart and your affections towards the Lord and your relationship with the Lord, as I have been the last couple of weeks. Um, the, the kind of the title, Delighting in the Fear of the Lord. Um, it's interesting to think about delight uh, related to, to the concept of, of fear or, or being afraid of something or, or having reverence for something. But I, I think that uh, it's not a, um, an oxymoron. It's, not a, uh, it's something that um, I think we'll see is something quite beautiful, what it means to delight in the fear of the Lord. So that's what we're going to be talking about um, this this morning, um, to be honest, I feel in many ways inadequate to, to talk about this passage. Um, we serve a great God, an amazing God, and I know my weaknesses and the way, areas that I fall short or, or lack in, in the areas of the fear of the Lord at times in my own life. And so I just acknowledge that on the, the front coming up. And then also as I was studying this and unpacking it, you know, it's only two passages in first, two verse, two words in First Peter. But as I said, a lot of different verses, a lot of material. It's actually a theme that um, is over the whole of the Bible. And so I'm going to do my best to try to not be um, uh, too long or try to cover too much um, this morning. But there's a lot of, of, of an amazing passages and things that we'll get to look at. So, um, yeah, we'll look at what does it mean to fear God? Uh, uh, what does it not mean? What are the consequences if we fail to fear the Lord? What are the benefits or blessings or rewards when we do fear the Lord? And to just reflect and talk about God's character, his goodness, who he is, and all of his glory and might and majesty. My hope this morning is that God would be high and lifted up, that we would see him um, as in all of his glory, as, as a holy, perfect, um, magnificent God. But he's also personal, a f- who, who calls us friend, who, calls, who, who saves us, who redeems us, who loves us. So we'll get a look at some of the characteristics of God this morning. Um, you know, when you think of the, of the idea of, of fear, um, you know, fear is kind of a natural human uh, characteristic. It's kind of, you know, you could ask the question, is fear good or is, is fear bad, right? And, and if we have, uh, you know, there, there's rational fear, there's irrational fear. Um, with young kids, I have young kids right now, so I think about them. Sometimes you think about a child, and you hear some, someone say, oh, this child is, is fearless. You ever heard that term before? Oh, they're fearless. And, uh, you know, if, if your child is fearless, that means you probably buy superglue at Costco, so you don't have to go to the ER as often to get stitches. Uh, thanks, Sarah Enns, for teaching our family that. Um, our boys are somewhat fearless, and they get cuts everywhere. 
Our daughter Zoe now is uh, one years old, a little over one year old, one years old, and she's starting to climb everywhere on on top of everything. And she has no fear. She'll sit right on the edge of the table. That's been her big thing lately. She climbs up on the table, sticks her hand in wax or whatever food might be on there. And she's always right on the edge. The other day, you know, I caught her right before she, you know, fell. She does not yet have the fear of gravity and concrete. She doesn't understand those concepts yet, right? So she's lacking in fear. Um, and so we're going to look at that a little bit more. I think of, uh, if any of you guys seen the, the movie Free Solo, Alex Hanald? Anybody seen that? I think I have a photo of him climbing. Yeah, pretty impressive. So here's him climbing in Yosemite. I think it'd probably be fair to say that he has, he's, he's lacking in the area of fear, appropriate or healthy fear. Um, actually, in the, in the movie, in the interview with him, he talks about how either something from when he was young or whatever, but the, the fear sensors in his brain don't quite work correctly, if, if, if you saw that. And I don't totally understand it, but it's just, it doesn't, his brain doesn't light up when he sees certain images or different things like most people do. He's kind of numb in the area of fear. And fortunately, he has the skill and the ability as a climber to, to match up with his lack of fear to be able to do feats like this. But this is a very dangerous endeavor. For most of us, um, a healthy, appropriate level of fear would keep us from trying to attempt something anywhere close, close to this. It is definitely a high-risk endeavor. Is that, is that right to say? Um, oh, what's his name? Dean Potter. There was another climber, Dean Potter, who was also kind of a adrenaline junkie, you know, fear or thrill seeker kind of guy. And he would do free solo like this. He'd also do, um, if you've seen people in the wingsuits, right, right those, they do that. He actually passed away doing that. So it's, it's, it's a high-risk type of situation. So fear, in many ways, is a good thing because it helps us correctly orient our life. And when it comes to the fear of God, it's actually an amazing thing that helps us have a, a posture, the appropriate posture before a good and holy God. But also, fear can be a very bad thing. It can be a very debilitating, a very destructive thing. We seem to have a culture and a society that likes to, you know, give out fear like candy to everybody. It wants everybody to be fearful all the time. Is that fair to say? So fear can also be a dangerous thing. So we want to understand what it means to fear the Lord in the right way, in the right context. So that's where we're going today. Let me pray, and we'll look at the passage and, and continue. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for being here with us, Lord, as we gather as a church body to worship you, as we've, we've sung songs to you this morning, as we pray, um, as we look at your word, Lord, and reflect on your character and your goodness. Lord, I'm, I'm mindful um, of, of who you are as we talk about this, Lord, that you are um, far greater than I can ever grasp or imagine far more worthy of, of praise um, than I will ever comprehend. But Lord, this morning we come before you with reverence, acknowledging that you are King of kings, Lord of lords, Yahweh, great God, who created the world, created us, Lord, in your image, that we might know you, that you want relationship with us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would um, learn what it means to fear you, to love you, to have a relationship with you, Lord. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's look at um, this passage. I'll, I'll back up a little bit to verse 11, and then we'll look at our verse uh, passage in verse 17. So just by a little bit of by way of context. Um, again, it's First uh, Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to obtain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when you speak, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of, of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, fear the Lord, or sorry, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We're going to talk a little bit this morning too about this idea of how the fear of God actually leads to freedom as well, and the correlation between freedom in verse 16 and the fear of God. So he, there's even more to this. Again, in context, in, in 1 Peter, Peter, um, one of Jesus' closest disciples, a great you know, leader of the church, but also a man who put his foot in his mouth, who denied the Lord, who was restored by God after the resurrection. Peter is a little bit probably older now, more advanced in his ministry, and he's speaking and writing to a group of Jewish believers who were dealing with a tremendous amount of, of persecution and opposition. Um, Pastor Brian has done a great job kind of unpacking a lot of this. I won't go too in-depth. But this is a, a people that are dealing with a, a government and, um, and rulers that are over them that don't value their beliefs, don't value their culture, don't value them um, really in, in their society, and they're facing opposition and persecution. Physical harm, but also cultural kind of ostracization. I probably didn't say that word right. And, and they're, they're being resisted, and they're feeling the pressure and the pain of following Christ. And he's trying to encourage them to stay the course, to put off the flesh, to not engage in you know, what's going around all around them in, in this you know, pagan culture um, that was going on in that time. And he kind of gives this whole series of teaching. He talks to them about don't use your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as a servants of God. And then he kind of has this little, these quick sports statements, the slogan which we've been unpacking, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so again, like I said, it's just two, verses, two words, fear God. And he, he says to them, he challenges them in light of the things he's been teaching, he says, fear God. And for us, you know, um, as as Western evangelical Christians, you know, we talk so much about the love of God, um, the grace of God. We know that in the new covenant, we're no longer under law, that we no longer face um, the, the wrath of God. And so we, we know about the, the love of God and the goodness of God, and we emphasize those attributes, I guess maybe the attributes that we like or make us feel more comfortable. And so it's easy maybe to even think like, wait, the fear of God, is that just kind of an Old Testament thing? We don't, we don't fear God now as believers. Does a, does, is a Christian supposed to fear God? What, what does that look like? What is what does that mean? And I think it's probably fair to say, in my, for myself and for many of us, maybe the initial connotation or some of our thoughts or assumptions about what it means to fear God, just kind of off the bat, uh, might have some connotations that's not maybe accurate or, or perfectly accurate to the, to the Bible. I don't know that this morning we're going to get to some level of any type of perfect accuracy of what this, this means, but it, it may be off or skewed, but some things about it may be, may be quite accurate or quite right. But here he says, fear God. And what I want to encourage us to recognize is that for these Jewish believers who were 
you know, part of Peter's ministry or that he's writing to, when he says those two words, it would have meant a lot more to them uh, in that time, or it may have, it may, than, than maybe to us today. The fear of God, um, or, or maybe, um, but a better way to say it is, as they immerse themselves in, in the Hebrew Bible, and as they would have been students of the Bible, and for us, as we study the Bible, one of the things that we will see is that this concept uh, of, the, of the fear of God is, permeates all throughout the whole of Scripture. Does that make sense? I think that's what I want to emphasize. So some of those early believers, they would have understood that. When he says fear God, they would have reflected back and thought about the prophets and the things that they wrote, about Moses and how he feared God instead of man and went and challenged Pharaoh. They would have thought of these stories and these just different examples of people throughout the Bible that feared God. They would have thought about the Psalms and the Proverbs. So, so in, the, in the Torah, in the prophets, in the writings, in Ecclesiastes, this theme of the fear of God comes throughout. And, and those two words would have probably brought to their mind or their memory um, many of those other passages. So he didn't need to maybe expound that much. Just those two words would have had um, probably the desired effect that Peter was trying to, the, the, you know, the, the posture that, that he was trying to help them be in as he's writing to them and challenging them and encouraging them as they seek to endure the hardship and the persecution that they're facing. Um, so what, is it, what does it mean to, to fear God? Does God want us to fear him? Um, I think that in many ways, this is, as I was reflecting on this, I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me is that God desires us to fear him or to have the fear of God because he loves us and he knows that's what is best for us. And it's the appropriate, natural response for who we are as fallen, creative beings in light of who he is as a holy and perfect God. God as creator, as our authority, as king. When human beings, finite, limited, broken beings come into his presence, there naturally should be a degree of, of reverence, of awe of fear, of wonder at the grandeur and majesty of who God is. Does that make sense? And if we don't have that sense of reverence and awe and fear and wonder for who God is, then we either misunderstand or don't understand who he is, who God is, or we have a failed or or broken understanding of, of who we are as human beings, created beings. Does that make sense? And so, um, as we unpack some of these passages and, and look at some of this, We'll see some of that theme come out that God wants us to fear him because he knows that is the appropriate response for who we are as his, as his created beings made in his image. And as Christians, what does it mean to, to fear God? Well, there's, we've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. So there's, there's love. There's worship. There's um, praise that goes towards God as we understand his attributes and his characteristics. So this idea of fear God, it's a, it's a very nuanced, it's a very complex, it's a very multifaceted set of, of emotions and feelings and um, posture or position before who God is. And we can actually mature and grow. Our, our, our fear of God may change over time as our relationship with him deepens, which I'll try to talk about or, or unpack as I'm, as I'm able to here in a minute. There's a, a, a definition uh, I want to read real quick by John Murray talking about the fear of God that I think is helpful. He's a, he's a commentator, uh, teacher, preacher. He says, the fear, of God in which godliness, the fear of God in which godliness consists is the fear which can 
strains, compels, or powerfully produces adoration and love. It is the fear which consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship. And all of these in the highest level of existence. It is the reflex in our consciousness of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. So there's a lot more that it's not, you know, it's not to be scared of or just be afraid of. It's this reverence, adoration, and love. It is the fear which consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship. And all of these in the highest level of exercise. It is the reflex, our conscious, our consciousness of the transcendent majesty, in our consciousness of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. The way I've been thinking about it as I've been reflecting on it, that, that the fear of God, it's a, a posture. It's a posture that we have, you know, thinking of God as authority, thinking of God as king, as holy, as perfect. It's a posture of, of humility and praise and worship that leads to behavior and actions that reflect his goodness, that, that depart from sin or depart from evil and want to pursue after God and live for his purposes and be about his mission and will in the world. Do you see that? Does that make sense? And when we orient our life correctly before God in that way, one of the amazing things about it is very liberating. I think it was, uh, might be at the, the very end, the um, Spurgeon quote. I think it's, I have that at the very end of the slides. He said, he who fears God has nothing else to fear. When we fear God, we don't have to fear anything else. Or the fear that we might have, the healthy fear we might have for other things will be appropriate in light of a much greater fear of, of who God is. So it's a very liberating thing. We no longer have to live in the fear of man. We no longer have to fear our employer the way that we did before. Our finances no longer have to be so overwhelming when we understand that God is a good father who gives good gifts to his children. To his children. Does that make sense? When we fear God, we don't have to fear other things in the way that we did before. Um, there's a lot of different fears. Uh, actually, let me do this part to get, get that in here. Um, definition of you know fear... Reverential awe, it comes from the word in the Greek, it's, it's phoebo, uh, a verb to fear, to be afraid. I probably didn't say that right. Uh, I'm not pretending like I know Greek, read Greek, speak Greek, anything like that. Um, but to, to fear, to be afraid, to reverence, to awe. The other word that is in there is to honor, because fear also kind of in this context means to honor, but that's another word, to ma'o, to honor or venerate. So he says, honor the emperor, but fear God. It has this, um, you know, to, to reverence who God is. And what, I think that phobia, it's where we get the word phobia. Anybody in here have different phobias? I remember the first time I learned, you know, this idea of a phobia, a fear of something. I had, was probably way too young to have watched this. I don't think, I was probably not watching it at my home with my parents, but I saw the movie Arachnophobia. Anybody heard of that movie way back in the day? It's the fear of what? The fear of spiders. My wife is blessed with that fear. Anybody else in here have that? Yeah. So I remember watching this movie, and it's like these, like, dinosaur-sized spiders, right, that are, like, terrorizing this house, and, and they came from somewhere, whatever. And it's the arachnophobia. It's the idea of this, this phobia, this, this fear, this overwhelming fear of this, this one thing. 
many of us, you know, people have these different types of fears. There's probably shows on this. I mean, there's, you know, I don't know if anybody here, have any, raise your hand if you would say you have, have a phobia of some type of phobia, or you could name it, or something. To, you know, the fear of heights, the fear of public speaking. That's one of my biggest ones. And so, just kidding. Not, I mean, I'm overcoming it right now. No, but, but that's a very common one for many people, the fear of public speaking, right? What, what are some other ones? Any other ones that I'm not thinking of? What are some of the phobias that people have or the f- things that we fear? What's that? Fear of heights. Yep. What else? Anybody else have some other ones? Fear of snakes. What? Fear of losing someone. Okay. Yep. What's that? Claustrophobia. Fear of tight spaces. Yep. Have you ever had an MRI? My mom's battling cancer right now. She got this uh, MRI thing, and they put this, it was a, it's actually radiation, her brain, it's it, this whole uh, deal, and they put the spacing on there, and I remember going, taking her to an appointment, and kind of watching and just being like, oh my goodness, like that looked like it would freak me out. She's like 45 minutes, and she had this great attitude. My mom's the sweetest woman in the world. Pray for her. Um, but yeah, fear of tight spaces. What are some other ones? There's all kinds of fear, and, and let's face it, we, we, we you know, we do suffer hardship. We do suffer trial. We do suffer loss, right? This life is plagued with difficulties and uncertainties. You know, we've, we've had our country, you know, obviously the fear around uh, a pandemic, COVID-19. It's, it's you know, the, the amount of fear that's um, in our, our culture. Some of it very justified. Some of it maybe not as much. Some people are going, gosh, I wish people would be more afraid. What's going on here? Other people are going like, oh, my gosh, people are shutting down their entire life over, over this, this fear. And so we can, we can, as human beings, be permeated with, with fear of certain things, with worry, with anxiety. You know, mental illness is on the rise. And we let things um, stifle our, our life, our growth, um, our goals, our, our, our dreams, our ambitions. God wants to deliver us from the fear of those temporary earthly things. But one of the biggest things I think that we fear, fear as, as human beings and also especially as Christians we struggle with the fear of man. Is that fair to say? We struggle with the fear of people's opinion of us. What will they think of us? Will I belong? Will I be rejected? Uh, this is not to get into a political statement. We've talked about in our culture this idea of the, 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 the silent majority. Have you guys heard of that idea? What do, what do those people fear? They fear if they talk out openly about their views or their beliefs, they're going to be canceled. or There's a big mob that will come after them. Right? Is that fair to say there's that going on? Probably on both sides. You're going to face a mob either way if you start sprouting too many opinions about some of these more political or sensitive issues in our culture today. But we fear man, and so we, we, we shrink back. And this is a real problem or issue for those of us who follow God, Yahweh, King of the universe, who's redeemed us, rescued us, and then ushers us into his mission in the world, and he, we partic- participate in the great, what? The Great Commission. There's two Great Commandments, Great Commission. Got either way there. The Great Commission. He commissions us to be his light in the world, to be ambassadors, to be his witnesses. So if we're overwhelmed with the fear of man, the fear of people, as greater than the fear of, of God, we're going to fail in many ways to be who God's called us to be, to be a light to our coworkers, to our family. That make sense? I remember my senior of high school, I shared this story with high, with the high school students sometimes, uh, uh, I was in an English class my senior year of high school, and we would have a journal uh, question every morning that you had to write down. And I'd tell the students, I remember two of those questions. Uh, one of them was, what's your most embarrassing moment? 
The reason I remember that is because I was a senior in high school, and I remember thinking, like, I'm, like, cool. I was athlete of the year in my school. I'm like, I'm cool. I don't, I'm not, I'm not anything embarrassed. I didn't, you know, I was sitting there. And I had gotten to school late that day. I'd ran into class. I'm sitting down, and the campus security uh, came, opens the door, and yells across the classroom, hey, Luke, are these your keys? And I, I look over, and I'm like, yeah, those are. She's like, yeah, I thought so. They were in your car. It was running in the parking lot. <laughs> so I had gotten to school late. I think I, like, had my backpack in this little truck. I like this little four-cylinder truck that I lifted and put bigger tires. It's kind of embarrassing now when I think back about it. Um, and and I, I, I grabbed this backpack. I think I left the car on. And I just, like, ran into class. So now I had an embarrassing moment. But the other question was, if you had a week to live, what would you do with your time and why? If you had one week, a week to live, what would you do with your time and why? And I remember thinking in that class, man, one week, like, okay, I'd go snowboarding. I'd go skydiving. I'd get married in a week, so I'm saving myself for marriage. Like, I'm trying to think of all these things I would do, right, if I had one week to live. And then, as I thought about it more, I was like, man, if I, if I really had one week, I probably wouldn't do those things. I'd probably, first, I would get right with anybody that I had wronged or anybody that I was holding a grudge against or wasn't willing to forgive, or I'd go and seek forgiveness from people that I had, had wronged or, or been sarcastic towards or rude to. Probably spend time with family as much as I could. And then I started thinking about it more, I was, you know, because at that time in my life, some other things had happened. I started taking my faith more seriously. I was trying to be intentional about sharing my faith. I was actually leading a Bible study at our school, and, and uh, I was like, gosh, man, if I had one week, I'd probably spend my time being more bold about sharing my faith and, and witnessing to people. But I don't because I'm afraid of what people will think about me. But I'm like, man, if I'm going to be gone in a week, hey, I don't care anymore. Like, where's the, what do they call it, soapbox? Where's the, the street corner? Like, where's my friends? Like, I would be more bold. Because I, would, I don't have to fear people. I'm going to be, I'm going to be gone anyways. I'm pretty quickly I'm going to be in the presence of God, who I should have much greater reverence for and obedience to and, and, and fear of than my teammates or my classmates, you know. And so I was like, okay, that's what I would do with the week. Sweet. I never wrote anything down on that journal question. But I left there, and I was reading in James, which says, our life is but a vapor that quickly vanishes. And I was like, man, okay, if that's what I would, you know, do with the week, even if I lived to be 70, 80, 90 years old, it's 2021, 20, you know, who knows what Elon Musk will come out with, 140 years old, you know, it's, it's, it's still so temporary compared to eternity, right? And so um, what we'll see here is a couple of valuable things of what the fear of God leads to. So the fear of God, three things, leads to freedom from the fear of man, the fear of God leads to freedom from the power of sin, and the fear of God leads to joy and delight in the goodness of God. Leads to freedom from the fear of man, freedom from the power of sin, and joy and delight in the goodness of God. Okay, let me do my best to catch up, get through some of some all of this. Um, Leads to freedom from the fear of man. Can you go into the next slide, the next passage? Uh, yeah, the next one with the, the slide. So Psalms 56, 11, it says, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid, for what can man do to me? In God I trust, I shall not be afraid, for what can man do to me? And then the next one. This is probably one of the heaviest passages that we'll talk about this morning. This is Jesus. You know, if we talk about should we still fear God in the New Testament, here's Jesus teaching about this passage with his disciples. And it's a very appropriate passage because it's actually in the same, um, it's in the same theme where he's, talking to his disciples about the persecution that they will face because they're following him. 
They're saying, hey, look, if they hated the teacher, they're going to hate his followers or his students, right? If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. And so he's warning them so they know what to expect as they go out as um, lambs amongst wolves. He uses earlier in this portion of Matthew. Then he says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear whom who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are you not, um, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But everyone who denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. And then it goes on actually right here. It says, um, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace uh, to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. It gets, it gets pretty heavy. But right here in verse 31, he says, do not be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. So it's kind of a, this tension, right? He's saying, don't fear man, but fear God, who can not only kill the body, but actually cast your soul into hell. Again, a very heavy statement from Jesus here. But he's saying, but do not be afraid. God knows, he, he loves you. He values you, again, to his disciples. He knows the numbers of hair on your, on your head. So Jesus is saying, hey, don't fear man, because it's a very real thing that can hold you back from fulfilling who God wants you to be in the world. It can be a very, very stifling thing. And to fear God and to no longer have the fear of man, it doesn't mean that we don't care about people's opinion. I know for me, I still, as much as I strive to, to fear the Lord, I still fear people at times. I want to be liked. You want to be winsome. You want to be effective. You don't want to be abrasive or, or, or mean or whatever that might look like. But that we would fear the Lord rather than man. I think of Daniel when they were trying to trick him and then forced Nebuchadnezzar to make this ruling. He couldn't pray. But he says, you know what? All right. I'm going to keep praying. <laughs> right? And he goes up to the window. And he bows down. And he continues to pray. And there were real consequences. I mean, he genuinely got thrown into a lion's den. My boys love hearing, reading that story. Let's read Daniel Lyons dead again. And, and yet God protected him. God was with him. He feared God more than man. Amen? Um, Moses, if you can go to the passage about Moses, um, it says in, uh, let me see that passage here. I think it's slide 35. Yeah, slide 35. Um, it's uh, here in, in Moses, talks about Moses. Um, by faith, Moses is in, Hebrew, in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, kind of the heroes of the faith, faith. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured um, as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses chose to endure, um, consider reproach of Christ greater wealth, sorry, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Have that more familiar, that passage in a different translation. So Moses decided to say, you know what, I'm going to follow God and my people, people of Israel, rather than enjoy the luxuries and the benefits that I have uh, in Egypt. He feared God more than man. And he went and confronted Pharaoh. And it's very interesting, we won't go into it, but there, the passage with Pharaoh, it's, it's a very different picture. Pharaoh responds, who is this God? 
I don't know him or what he's about. He basically saw himself as, as, as divine. A lot of the pharaohs at the time were, were seen as divine. And, and he's rejecting uh, God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. He's saying, who, who is this God? Do you see that? And so Pharaoh has no fear of God. And we see what the consequence, what that has for him. Moses chose to fear God, and God used him. Now, Moses, you know, God used Moses in, in a mighty and powerful way. And yet Moses, still later in his life, he disobeyed God. He, what did he do? He hit the rock to get the water to come out rather than just speaking to it. God has commanded. It seemed like pretty heavy or harsh punishment. God disciplines those that he loves, right? Moses didn't get into the, the promised land. But then later, uh, with Jesus in the, in, the, in the Mount of Transfiguration, when um, God came down and with Peter and, and John on this mountain, and Moses and Elijah there, we see Moses was glorified. After he died, he is in heaven with God for eternity, Right? And he was, he was there with Elijah, and God says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And so Moses, in this journey, he chose to fear God more than man. An example, um, an example for us of what that looks like. <clears throat> Let me get to another passage here real quick. Um, a couple other verses just about the fear of God in, in the scriptures, because what I hope that we can see, or if we had more time, which we probably won't get to all of them, is this idea that, the fear of God, it's, it's throughout the whole of the Bible. Um, it says in Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Ecclesiastes says, The end of the matter, um, the end of the matter, after he evaluated all of these things, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. There's the, um, some of you guys read the C.S. Lewis book the, the, about the, um, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. You remember that? And there's that, that great passage, there's a great part in there. I'll go ahead and read it here. It says, um, this is the kids, and they're with, you know, this beaver family. It's all these animals that can talk. If you've never read it. You know, beautiful story, um, kind of an allegory. And they're talking about Aslan, this lion who was powerful, um, who was king of, of, of Narnia. And it says, the girl asks, is, is, is he a, a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan, a man? Uh, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of, uh, don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall, Rather, uh, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, uh, dearie, and no, uh, no mistake, said Miss Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Miss Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is king, I tell you. Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. You know, if, if we don't know the Lord, for those that, that reject the Lord, the Bible says in Hebrews he is an, an all-consuming fire. God is a holy God. He cares deeply about justice and truth and righteousness. He will punish the wicked, the Bible says. He, he created our cosmos. I've just been reflecting on this as we think about where does God dwell in different dimension outside of time and space. I mean, how big is God? How glorious, how majestic is God? I can't wrap my head around it. I mean, just think he created the sun. I mean, you think about it, the power of a volcano. 
If you're ever out in nature, I like to surf. I used to be a little better at surfing bigger waves. Or if you see those videos of like Chopu, these, these massive waves with all this power. I mean, this is just one tiny, insy planet in the cosmos that God, Yahweh, created. He is powerful. He is holy. He is majestic. And yet he is good. He is loving. He is merciful. If we understand who God is, and, and when we follow him as Christians, and the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us, and through faith we've trusted in, in Jesus, the fear of God can lead to freedom from the power of sin. It can lead to freedom from the power of sin. So I had a couple passages about that. I think for the sake of time I'm going to, um, well, let's just do them real, real quick. Fear the, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. The fear of the Lord leads to the hatred of evil. Let, the, uh, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. That we have an awe and a reverence of God. Again, back to that posture. In light of who God is, man, I want to honor him with the way that I live. I don't want to to, to veer to the left or the right. If we, if we know the Lord, we have a relationship with him, he's not going to allow us to continue to, to wallow and to um, backslide and to, and to live in, in sin in the way that we did before we knew him. He's going to lovingly correct us and discipline us and bring us back to him because he wants our good for his, his glory. Amen? So, in kind of wrapping it up, the last one that I had on there is that the fear of God leads to our joy and delight in his goodness. Let me read this, um, this last passage here. Sorry, one second. There it is. Sorry, one last passage here. Um, actually, it's at the beginning. Can you go to the passage about... Um, okay. Yes, here it is. So Psalms 103, 11 through 13. In the stuff I was reading and researching, it talked about the difference between... A servile fear comes from a Latin word service, which is like a master-slave relationship, versus a filial fear, a Latin filius, a father-son, father-daughter relationship. In Psalms 103, it says this. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Do you see that? For as high as the heavens above the earth, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear them. I've got two little boys, Isaac and Caleb, five and three. They're a whirlwind. I love them to death. Um, But God has placed me to be head of our household to be an authority in their life. And we've been having to talk to them, especially our oldest one, a lot lately about respect. Respect your mom. Respect your dad. Honor your mother and father, as the commandment says. And I remember the other day, we're, we're sitting there on the couch, and he's like, Dad, can I have an apple? And sure, I went out of the fridge, got him an apple. He's sitting there, he's eating it. And, uh, you know, he's, he's eating his, his apple, and then he gets done with it. And he goes, done, and just drops it on the carpet. Done. And I, I, said, I said, okay. He's like, and I said, Isaac, you need to, Go put it in the trash, son. He goes, no, dad, you do it. No, dad, you do it. You put it in the trash, dad. Well, we had like a three-minute power struggle that unfolded as, as I wanted him to throw it in the trash. He wanted me to do it. But it really became an issue of respect. 
He was disrespecting me as his father. Eventually, he put it in, in the trash. <laughs> and we had to sit down later and talk about, Isaac, you need to respect me as your father. God has put me in a role of authority. I love you. I care for you. But when I see my son have that level of, of disrespect for me as his father, how's he going to respond to other authorities in his life in the future? A, a boss. You know, how's he going to treat other people? It's my job to lovingly correct him. So my concern, I want him to, to respect me, to, to a degree, fear me as his father because I love him and I want what's best for him. And I know that is not it. God loves us. He wants us to fear him because he knows that's when we're going to position ourselves correctly so that we no longer fear man and fear the, the hardships and the difficulties of this world, but we rightly orient ourselves before him as a holy, just God, but as a good, loving, merciful Savior. Amen? So let us fear the Lord. I didn't get to the passage about, um, um, about the, uh, uh, sorry, the last passage about delighting in the fear of the Lord is actually in, in Isaiah 11. Uh, last one, I think I'm going a little over. Let me just do this last one. Uh, Isaiah chap, uh, chapter 11. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jonah, if you want to start coming back up. It says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Guess who's this talking about? This is a messianic passage about our Lord Jesus. It becomes very clear as you continue to read it. So here in this passage, talking of Isaiah, it's prophesying about the Messiah, Mashiach, who will come to redeem the world. It says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. What did Jesus say? Lord, I wanted thy will be done, but not my will. While he was on the earth as a man in the incarnation, fully God and fully man, he wanted to, he revered the Lord, he revered his father. So if Jesus can fear the Lord as God, obviously it's not this unhealthy, toxic, you know, fear, being afraid of, being scared of. It's this relational reverence that correctly orients a human being before a holy God. And Jesus, while he was on the earth, he, his delight shall be to fear the Lord. May our delight be to fear the Lord. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. You know, I've gone a little bit long. I thank you for our patience, Lord. I thank you for your grace and mercy. Help us, Lord, to revere you, to love you, to see you for who you truly are, Lord. Forgive me for sin. Forgive us for our sin, Lord, the times that we distance from you or even even run from you lord bring us back help us to walk closely with you help us to love you to esteem you to worship you for for all of who you are a good god help the fear of the lord be our delight in jesus name amen you guys we're going to do a, a worship song i think if somebody has to grab a child you know feel free we have uh, we're going to take communion this morning i was Thoroughly impressed with these cool new little cups that actually look like a wine glass. Huh? That's kind of cool. Um, if you'd like to, to participate in communion, we invite you to do so. There's baskets in the back as well as the front. Um, communion is something for those who follow Jesus, who have bent their knee to his authority, to call him Lord and Savior, to remember him, to remember his great sacrifice for us, his body that was broken on the cross 
when he, he died on Calvary to, to purchase our redemption, to be able to adopt us into his family, his sons and daughters. He was broken, and then his blood was shed. The wrath of God was poured out on him. And his blood was, was shed for the forgiveness of sins. It washes us, it cleanses us. When we put our trust in Jesus, his righteousness covers us so he doesn't see us. And Jesus told his disciples and he tells us to participate in community, to do this in remembrance of me, he says. So I think we're going to have just one chorus. I invite you if you want to come up. There's, there's some uh, gluten-free ones there in the back by the sound booth. But we encourage you to, to participate um, in communion. Kind of let you do it on your own time. Participate in the bread or drink the wine. Maybe pray with the person that you're here with. Confess our sin. Um, praise the Lord. And then, uh, and then I'll, I'll close with some, uh, a final announcement. thank you for your body that was broken. Lord, you endured very real pain, physical pain. Even though, Lord, you were God, you had the power to call down angels, to to rescue you, to stop your um, accusers, those who sought to kill you, Lord, you didn't. You, You let yourself suffer on the cross for our sake. Lord, we remember your blood that was shed that our sins can be washed away. And we thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. We thank you that this morning we can come into this place of worship and just be reminded of the busyness of life and all the other things we have going on and all the other challenges that we can stop and reflect on your goodness and your sacrifice and your love for us. We take these things in remembrance of you, Lord. Um, 
this past week, we were uh, able to do an FCA camp at Santa Maria High School for 5th to 8th graders. We had about 55 kids. It was super fun. First time we'd done one like that. We had a lot of coaches and teachers and people that came. And while we were there, uh, we had the chance to share different portions of the gospel each day. And on the last day, uh, I was, um, you know, or the middle of the second last day, Thursday, was the day we were going to kind of share the gospel and give an invitation. And I was sitting there talking with these kids, and I knew that there was like a superintendent there, and uh, maybe uh, there was an administrator there. There were these parents kind of around. And I remember kind of going to share, and uh, you go to the next one, and, and just feeling kind of, um, oh, uh, one of these pictures not supposed to be on there. I didn't do that right. Um, I didn't, I, I was, I was nervous. I remember thinking like, how do I want to say this? What things do I want to emphasize? What do I not? You know, it's kind of tempted to kind of water down a little bit or be sensitive. And I, because I was thinking about all these other people and all the what ifs. Um, back in the day, this is actually a picture from India. And we were doing a, a camp there and getting to share the gospel there. And um, we were doing these camps and the guy came up um, and we were, there was, he was from the RSS, they, they told us, which is basically like the, um, almost like a secret service of with the government there. And he was complaining about what we were doing. And they told uh, one of the our, our guys working with us that he had to come over and tell us, hey, you need to stop teaching and preaching. Or they're going to videotape and they're going to send it to the government. And it's going to cause huge problems for this for us, blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, but we're in the middle of it. Do we just stop? And it's like, we can't stop. I had to fear God more than man. And we, we continued to preach. And it was powerful what, what God did. But I remember, you know, when we were over there in these other places, you get more sensitive and I get more, you kind of have to be a little bit more wise and be more cautious about how you say what and when. And I remember being in Santa Maria with our staff, Brandon, this last week and, and just having those same like uh, feelings come back over me of like, oh man, should I, what should I say, should I not? And it was like, no, Lord, let me fear you, not, not these parents or these principals or these, even these, you know, I wasn't that afraid of the 11 year olds, to be honest. But, and so we just gave, we prayed and we gave an invitation, a very clear message. We asked them, anybody here want to respond and give their life to Christ? And we had 15 kids give life to Christ at that camp. Yeah, praise God. Let me clap for that. But in addition to that, actually the other picture, that's In addition to that, we had one of the coaches, the varsity coach for Santa Maria women's basketball team. He gave his life to Christ. And two of his, his, his high school students who were kind of huddle leaders for us gave their life to Christ. So pictures of this little kid who came up afterward to pray. And it was amazing to see how God moved. There's a pastor, he said, I don't fear, I avoid sin, not because of I fear what God might do to me, but rather I fear what God might not, what God might not do through me if I'm not living in obedience to who, who he is. Ephesians tells us God has good works he's prepared in advance for us to walk in. So as we fear the Lord, God's going to use our life to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish for his good, for our good, for his glory. Amen?